Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it. Like, um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. The French Open, known as Roland Garros, one of four major trophies to be won in tennis. It all started way back in 1891. On the men's side, it possesses one of the greatest individual performances in sport globally, a Spanish clay court masterclass. <laughs> In 2020, Rafael Nadal makes it 20 with arguably the greatest ever clay court performance. He captures a 13th Roland Garros title in his 100th match win. It's about as close to being unbeatable as you can get on a tennis court. Simply phenomenal. Goes level with Roger Federer with 20 grand slams. On the women's side, one of the greats in the history of the game, winning the Paris Major a record seven times, her last in 1986. Chris Everett Lloyd, the French champion. 13 consecutive years this woman has won a Grand Slam title and she celebrates in tears. Madame Chris Everett Lloyd. It's arguably the hardest of the four Grand Slams to win. Paris, late May, and the European red clay. It's not everyone's cup of tea. Week one of Roland Garros is thanks to First Serve Tennis Sunscreen, a quality Australian-made sunscreen to protect those that love their tennis at sunblessunscreens.com.au and GLG Green Life Group, your open space specialists at glgcorp.com. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Bottle... Good evening, everybody. Welcome along to the first serve. Roland Garros, week one. It's a week later than normal, but it's a lot better than September. The conditions are much better. The sun is shining in Paris for day two with the traditional uh, Sunday start. I've had about three hours sleep. The adrenaline's pumping. Don't drink coffee, but I'm finding other means. I've got screens everywhere. I'd love to be in Paris like I was two years ago. What a moment that was to watch Ash Barty win Roland Garros. Be fair to say, I probably wouldn't even recognise the site if I walked in today because the transformation of Roland Garros is before our eyes. They're a long way behind the other Grand Slams in terms of facilities, but they've uh, refurbished the site beautifully. It is uh, a great Grand Slam. It's the most hard-fought Grand Slam to win. It eluded Pete Sampras. Roger Federer has won it just once. Even the great Serena Williams hasn't been able to really uh, put her absolute stamp. She's won it three times, but it's been the hardest of all the majors for her to win. We've got a special hour-and-a-half edition of the show uh, tonight. We're going to Paris in just a moment, live to our man Josh Gabalich on the ground. Paul McNamee is going to be along to talk about his great book, Master Clay to Master Tennis. Uh, tennis journalist Linda Pierce has written a great little story on Alexi Popram, who's up against Rafael Nadal, the biggest task to beat Rafa. At Roland Garros, we'll uh, touch on that and a few other topics 
going around in the world of tennis and away from the bright lights of Paris, which for so many players is their existence on the tour, Sion Mendes. Going to uh, tell you more about her after uh, 9 o'clock uh, tonight. But let's go straight to Paris. Uh, Josh Gavlich is our man on the spot. You'll see him, of course, on the first serve. All our socials uh, writing some great stuff for us on thefirstserve.com.au. And he's live on the spot in Paris uh, today. Josh, uh, great to have you on board. Great to be with you again, Brett. Beautiful, beautiful morning on day two in Paris. It looks good. I've got all the, the screens here and... Uh, the weather hasn't always been uh, favourable, particularly, I, I think, back to those images of September last year, which was one out of the box, uh, Josh, where the players were in you know, long johns and almost wearing beanies out on court. It was that cold. But uh, Paris is certainly turning it on. There's, what, a 1,000 spectators allowed into three different pods around uh, Roland Garros, and that's going to be probably the way it'll be, what, for the first nine days at least, with the 9pm curfew as well. And then maybe at the back end we might see some bigger crowds. That's right. So there'll be a thousand in each of the three major courts. The outside courts, to be honest, have been quite packed, but everyone that's entering has had to present a negative COVID test. So they are being extra precautious, as you'd expect at a, at a grand slam like this. But yeah, from June 9, they're looking to have 65%. So that could look really good come the business end of the tournament. Uh, that'd be nice. I was watching one of the early matches uh, last night and, uh, and, and the Channel 9 coverage, uh, I can't even think of the uh, match. Who was out early? Isla Tomlanovic, of course, was out early uh, last night. And the court next door, Enzo Huacau, the, uh, the Frenchman, uh, was playing. He got up in, uh, I think, straight sets in that match. But the roar coming from that court, there is something about the Paris crowd. I loved it two years ago. I feel it's that, that football soccer type crowd, Josh, on the outside courts. And uh, their unique cries, their unique chants that they have. And that's the great part about all the Grand Slams. You really feel the different atmospheres. Exactly. And especially in France, where they've been starved of live sport for the best part of, of 18 months. And Paris is such a great sport city that they've really relished it. And, and speaking to a lot of the locals here on the first day, they just love being in and around live sport. It's such a foreign concept in Europe, as I'm sure you know. Let's, uh, let's go with the breaking news in the last hour. Now, I was sitting at home uh, watching the Channel 9 coverage here in Australia and Todd and uh, Yelena and Grothy were uh, waiting to cross to uh, John Millman to start the day and there was a delay. Uh, Gianluca Maguire, the Italian, had made his way out on court. He was t- talking with a chair umpire. It was about three minutes past the, uh, the walk-on time and obviously the tournaments are pretty strict when the players are going to go on. Uh, certainly from a broadcast uh, point of view. There was no sign of John Millman, and you can fill in the gaps, Josh Forrest, that he's uh, unfortunately had to withdraw. Well, I was heading out to court eight when I received the message that he pulled out of the tournament, and it came as a real surprise given he was expected to play as of this morning. So he spoke to reporters via Zoom about 30 minutes ago, and he explained that he, he suffered a back injury two days ago in a practice session with... Alex Diminor, and he hasn't been able to really move since then. He was very, very disappointed in this press conference. He said that essentially he'd never been better prepared for Roland Garros. He'd really set himself for this play season. And it's been a really long play season when you think it's been going for two months now. And obviously the grass season's been really condensed. So he was extremely flat. And he knows he doesn't have too many opportunities to come back to Paris. He's a really disappointed man, but... That's the nature of this game, unfortunately. So he's he's not playing at all. We'll have to wait for a, a bit later in the day for some Australians to get out in court. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he'd just been striking a little bit of form too, John. He'd had a, a bit of a patchy start to the year, but he'd just been starting to 
uh, hit the ball quite nicely, winning some matches in those uh, clay court tournament uh, build-ups. So that's disappointing, certainly, for Millman. So Jordan Thompson uh, is going to play uh, today, of course. Storm Sanders, Chris O'Connell, uh, trying to join Isla Tomlanovich in the next round. Then the rest of the Aussies will play Tuesday. That's the unique part about the French Open. The first round is spread across uh, the three days. But uh, round one, uh, well, certainly the talking point has been more off-court, Josh, than on-court with... Uh, Naomi Osaka, um, I've done a, a ton of radio here today uh, around the country being asked about what is going on. Are the Grand Slams absolutely fed income when they say they, they may default her if she doesn't start stepping up and heading to the press conferences? You're on the ground. Give us the feel over there, just talking to people, uh, the lie of the land around Naomi Osaka and her refusal to speak to the media and maybe the implications that are going to come in Paris this week. Well, it's been the biggest storyline in the tennis world across the last five or six days and potentially the biggest story of the year when you think about the splash it's made. But I'm sitting in and around the, the New York and the American press as well as the UK and they're really disappointed because they're the ones that cover this tournament, this, this tour, day in, day out. And they feel, you know, personally aggrieved in a way because some of the statement, some of the words she used in the statement around them contributing to creating doubt and the fact that they're questioning her performance, but that's the nature of journalism and covering sports. So mm. there is a bit of disappointment in the fact that the way she's gone about it, but there's also a lack of surprise because she signed with the Hollywood publicist in the past month. And I think that the feeling around um, Roland Garros is that may have just tweaked her thinking. You see a lot of celebrities and, and artists and actresses have reached out to her on social media in the past. Yep. Uh, five days since she announced that last Wednesday. So it's a bit of a Hollywood kind of move when you think about it, but it was really strong of not just Roland Garros, but all four Grand Slams to, to bandy together yesterday and, and come out with that joint statement. And, and really, I mean, the $15,000 fine is, is the bare minimum. You're looking mm. potentially at, at a default from a major tournament. It's just amazing. It's going to be intriguing to see where we go from here because – she did give an on-court interview with Fabrice Santoro. Yep. It was it was quite awkward, quite quite short and sharp. I'm sure you saw it on Nine. Mm-hmm. And and then, much to the chagrin of a lot of journalists in the media centre, she spent some time with the Japanese satellite network, which is part of her commercial obligations back home. So there were eyebrows raised by that. It wasn't surprising when you think about the money involved. But, yeah, a, a lot of disappointed people in here, given it's the same rule for every player on the tour. And that was part of the messaging from Roland Garros and the other Grand Slam tournaments yesterday in that statement. It was a very strong statement. And, and I think it needed to be made because if the top players can then just pick and choose when they want to talk to the media, uh, that's just that's not healthy for the the overall growth of the sport. And the media uh, you know, certainly helps uh, make the players and create their profile. So it'll, it'll be fascinating to see what unfolds here. And she got through tight first-round match. Um, we know that clay's not her preferred surface. So this is the time of the year, Josh, when she gets scrutinised the most... Uh, clay and then grass uh, where she hasn't really uh, set the world on fire so she knows the hard questions are going to be coming because people are naturally going to ask well what are you doing to conquer this surface why can't you they're they're clear obvious and reasonable questions so i, I don't know if she'd be the same mindset potentially if we're in uh, the middle of um, a, a really good hardcore swing where she's so dominant but anyway we wait to see what happens any other takeaways from day one what what grabbed you well, the Dominic team upset was was equally as shocking in a way, just in terms of the tennis, because he's been so strong 
for such a long time. He's a finalist twice. He's a semi-finalist twice. And he was drawn on the soft side of the draw when you think the big three were on the other side. And it looked like he'd have a really easy run across these first four rounds. So to, to fall in the first round to a 35-year-old journeyman and never beaten a top five player before and to be two sets to love up and four was was amazing. And it, it wasn't like he played really poorly in the, in the final three sets. But Pablo Andua, he was just amazing mm. going forward. It's amazing that a 35-year-old who hasn't achieved great heights on the, on, the, on the circuit could produce a performance like that. But that's the yep. beauty about Grand Slam tournaments, isn't it? Oh, it was brilliant. Yeah, loved his reaction. Beat Roger a couple of weeks ago. He's had triple elbow surgery, this guy. He's been through a lot of adversity. I love these sort of stories. And uh, had his uh, moment at 35. And we're crying out for these young guys to get on tour and dominate Alex Demonor. Come on, we want to see Alex out there. He's only 21. He might be you know, 10 years away from achieving his best results. So it's a sport where uh, people uh, and players certainly peak at uh, different uh, different intervals. Uh, Josh, you've set the scene for us. We'll cross back to you in the next hour to get a bit of a feel of uh, what is transpiring on uh, day two. Sounds great, Brett. I'll chat to you again soon. Josh Gablich, our man on the spot for the first serve uh, on the air. Uh, you can catch him on thefirstserve.com.au. All our socials follow that throughout the evening. Now, I just want to play a little bit of Dominic Team because he was absolutely under the pump yesterday. Two sets to love up. He loses in five. He's pretty downcast. But this is sort of what Naomi Osaka would have to go through. You just front up, you answer the questions, a reflective Dominic Team. Not at all. I mean, I was not uh, struggling at all with my motivation, but uh, the game was just not there today. All the shots are uh, missing power. Uh, they are not accurate enough, um, uh, moving not uh, well enough. So like everything in, in, in my game, there are some percents missing, you know, and uh, uh, I actually don't really know why, because um, since I, I stepped back on court, it's already two months and I uh, was really practicing well super intense as well shots were there in in, in practice and it got also better um, in in madrid and rome but um leon and here i mean the shots and and all how i moved and everything was just not uh, the real me i would say or 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 the my version who who is able to to play for big titles and it's it's just not good enough at the moment and uh yeah it's uh it's a very tough situation. It's kind of uh, the first uh, situation like that. Uh, what 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 I'm what I'm facing because basically all my career, all the last five, six, seven years was way up all the time. I mean, of course, I was sometimes dropping from five to eight in the ranking or whatever, but uh, never never had uh, losses like that, uh, especially here in Roland Garros. Uh, losing after being two sets to zero up, it's, it's, it's very strange to me. And uh, I mean, I have to, have to uh, analyze it and think about it. What's, what's wrong at the moment? Of course, try to hit back as soon as possible. Uh, there he is, Dominic Tain, the world number four, struggling. A young man who I've admired from afar, uh, worked as hard as anyone in the game to get to the top echelon. US Open winner last year, two Grand Slam finals against Nadal at the French in a semi-final as well, and he's he's just lost his edge. Uh, really struggled through uh, sort of the bubble life, COVID, uh, didn't have his coach, Nicolas Massou, with him uh, for part of the journey. So a really interesting uh, day one. We're on the men's side. Uh, Dan Evans, Paul Aiken, if you're listening tonight, you love Dan Evans, but he is not 
won a match at Roland Garros. That continued yesterday. What about uh, Grigor Dimitrov? It was almost like a carbon copy of the Australian Open. The body just gave way. He had the wobbles again, got injured. Then the body just couldn't actually stand up, had to retire. And Herbert Hikash of Poland, who won Miami a few weeks ago, hasn't done much since. Now, he lost to a Dutchman. And overnight, I kept looking at his name going, I hope I don't have to say it. So I'm not going to say it. I'm going to allow him to pronounce his name, which he's done on the ATP website. Botik van der Zandschool. Thank you very much. Uh, there he is, the Dutchman who uh, got through to beat Herbert uh, Hukash. I'm going to have to practice that because he might just be Baltic the one. Von der Thank you very much. That might, he might be the one who's the smoky who comes through and just surprises everyone. And uh, let's hope he doesn't do it at the Australian Open. We're calling uh, live on uh, SCN, let me tell you. Uh, Tennis Direct, uh, they are on board with us. You can text in tonight, 0433 you can give us a call, 1300 736 736. Of course, Australia's favourite online tennis store, Tennis Direct. Fast delivery, great prices, free delivery on orders over $150. Go to their website while you're listening in tonight, uh, tennisdirect.com.au. Uh, first serve listeners can get that 10% discount. $150 voucher to our best caller for May. We're going to announce that. Also, we've got the first serve tennis sunscreen to throw in, and uh, we've got a copy of the latest Australian tennis magazine. Uh, which we'll uh, send out to you as well. But coming up after the break, the great Paul McNamee and his book, Master Clay to Master Tennis. First serve tennis sunscreen, a quality Australian-made sunscreen to protect those that love their tennis at sunblessunscreens.com.au and GLG Greenlife Group, your open space specialists at glgcorp.com. The first serve, your home of tennis, covering Roland Garros 2021. Just to make you feel like you're in uh, Paris, one of the great uh, cities of the world. In fact, I got given a fact about the Eiffel Tower last night that originally it was built to only stand for about 20 years, back in about 1890, and it's still there. (laughs) It's a very permanent structure. I'm sure that some people are probably listening have been to Paris and have stayed in some accommodation and looked out and said, oh, gee, the Eiffel Tower's just over there. That shouldn't take long. It's about a three-hour walk. It looks close, but it's uh, far away. I'm sure people have done that. The sun is out in Paris. There's tennis being played. Unfortunately, no John Millman who's had to withdraw. So uh, Peter Goyovchik has come in to take on Gianluca Maguire, the uh, Italian. Uh, Jordan Thompson still to come. Chris O'Connell, Storm Sanders from an Aussie perspective. Roger Federer later on. Serena Williams uh, first up in the night session where there will be No spectators, 9pm curfew. Everyone out, it'll be Serena. Let's uh, see how she shapes up tonight. A terrific book. Welcome to the dance. Master Clay to Master Tennis. It's great to welcome in a man who's been to Paris a lot more times than I have, the great Paul McNamee, who needs no introduction. Paul, great to have you on the first serve. Thank you, Brett. I went to the launch a couple of weeks ago. You had um, some terrific names of Australian tennis there at the beautiful uh, Royal South Yarra. And uh, I know that this, is, this book means a lot to you, Paul. You've uh, put a lot of thought into it. Clay is something you're very passionate about. And, you know, the more and more I'm in tennis, uh, you, you just realise how important this surface is to really developing tennis players. That's right. And, of course, the Europeans and South Americans have a big advantage. It's, it's innate. They're not because they grow up on it, whereas in Australia, there'd be less than 20 good clay courts in the whole country. So it's very difficult for us uh, to compete with the, the the tennis knowledge in the rest of the world. As I said, it's kind of innate. And uh, I, I think we're trying to make up that ground. And I think Ash Barty 
is going to lead the renaissance of, yep. of clay, really the surface to learn to learn the game on. So take us back, Paul, your experience, and you do highlight this in uh, the book, uh, 18 years of age, you go to Paris, and as you described it, my life changed forever. That's right, because I had never set foot on a true clay court before, and I was playing a guy who was over 40 years of age from South America, and I was thinking, why is this guy even playing? I mean, I'm the number one junior in Australia. I mean, I can serve volume, I can I can outlast him, I can do what I want. And he just took me out to, took me out to lunch. It was, <laughs> it gave me such a lesson. And I, yep. I walked up that court just realising, I've just got so much to learn. And then I thought, oh, no, 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 Wimbledon's coming. I can, you know, I don't have to worry about clay. I can do in the curios. I can just think about Wimbledon, right? <laughs> and, um, but no, I thought the better of that. I thought, no, there's deep gaps in my knowledge. And, uh, you know, some white heads like Barry Phillips Moore is still alive in South Australia. And, you know, what there is to know about clay court tennis uh, that he doesn't know is not worth knowing. I mean, he he was the sort of mentor to younger Australians like me um, and, and and gave me hope and, and, and put me on a pathway to learn more about, to understand more about the sport that I love. And it was a journey I've never regretted. Um, that's why I, I'm, I'm, I'm sad to see what Naomi Saka's going through and her challenges on clay and, and worried about what people think when... When you know, if only she could see the the joyous journey that that, that lays ahead. That you know, the one that Ash Barty's been able to conquer. So, you know, the, I I do have a special relationship with it. It was my favourite surface. It yep. was my best surface, and um, I just love love setting foot on it. <laughs> I've got to admit. Yeah, no doubt. And one thing you said to me and and all the people in the room at Royal South Yarra a few weeks ago, uh, Paul, who were putting the uh, the green, the Hartru, uh, which we see in America, yeah. the green clay, yeah. uh, that yeah. you you believe that is the ideal surface to have a lot more of that uh, spread across Australia. Yes, because European clay, and to Tennis Australia's credit, they're put in European clay in Melbourne Park and in Brisbane and 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 uh, and in Sydney as well. Um, I mean that's that's great, but you kind of need a maintenance crew to look after it. It's fine. And in, in Australian hot weather and wind, it's very difficult to retain the top surface. You kind of need a ground staff to mm. do that. So the American clay, which uh, is called Hartru, which was actually used at the US Open in the late 70s when I went there. I mean, people don't realise that green clay was a Grand Slam surface for a few years. Yeah. Um, yep. Jimmy Connors had a not- notable win over Bjorn Borg um, uh, in the final of the US Open. And... That surface has underground watering, it's a, and, and it retains the moisture in the court. And you know, you, you, it, it 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 retains perfect conditions, perfect bounce, bounce the whole time, and does not blow away. That's why I believe it's more suitable for Australian conditions than European clay. So the the nuances of clay uh, really really fascinate me. When I, when I was watching Osaka last night, and you can dive into this a bit for us, uh, Paul. So. You know, she doesn't want to drastically change this uh, very offensive, attacking game, hard hitting from the back, and that's taken her to four majors on hard courts, you know, so hard to counteract that power. And now she's trying to just add a different element so that she can get as much benefit on the clay. Can you just explain that to the the layman out there who's maybe not, um, you know, across all the surfaces and just the, the differences you need to bring and the adjustments that you need to bring? 
Yes, well, first strike tennis, which most of the women play now, I mean, they get the first chance to, to rip the ball and put the opponent under pressure. It's called first strike tennis. It's very popular in both men's and women's, particularly in women's tennis. Um, that still applies on a clay court, but it's not as suited to clay as it is to hard court. So she still has to play her game, yet the, the problem is not the actual shot making. It's what happens between the shots, the movement. And to be a clay court maestro, you need to be able to learn how to slide, but not just slide, to control your slide, to finish the slide at the end of the of the slide so that you can you can plant and be ready to move back for the next shot. And we saw examples of that last night where Naomi Osaka, as distinct, let's say, an Ash Barty, mm-hmm. isn't able to control her slide and is uncomfortable when she has to change direction quickly. She hasn't finished the slide when she plays the shot and therefore she's going to be slower getting to the next ball. The most efficient way to move on a court is to slide. But, of course, you can't do that on a hard court. It's all... It's all planting and ripping, which suits Naomi. So, you know, that's something she'll have to, you know, improve. I mean, she admitted in the, in the, in the little bit of media she did do after the match that it's a work in progress. I just hope she sees the joy in that work at some point and, and doesn't have mental, you know, uh, problems out of it because she's not the first top player to no. struggle on class. There have been many before and there will be many, many more after. Pete Sampras is a good yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Pete only uh, won at the uh, well, didn't win it at all. Rogers won it once, and well, been in a tough year against Nadal, the toughest assignment yeah. in tennis to you know, dethrone uh, uh, Rafa. Yeah, and... I mean, yeah well, Rod, Rod Roger is a clay court maestro, and so is Djokovic. Yeah. But you know, they, they happen to be living in an era where the where the greatest chess master of all time uh, is playing the game, and and you know, and has the opportunity in this French Open to put. Roger Federer in his rear vision mirror for the very first time. This will be the first time that he, that he will have more Grand Slams than Roger Federer, which is very sad to all the Roger fans out there. But, you know, facts don't lie. And, and uh, Rapper is still the real deal on play. And I think he's undoubtedly the favourite to win this Roland Garros. Yeah, phenomenal record. Uh, two losses in 102 matches. Welcome to the dance. Master Clay to Master Tennis. That's the ball, uh, book written by Paul McNamee, our special guest on the first serve uh, tonight. Paul, without divulging... The whole book. Um, just give us a give us a couple of stories or uh, a couple of things that we can really look forward to reading in the book across all your travels around the world, seeing uh, seeing clay in its full glory. Well, it's just the joy of the settings of many clay courts. I mean, the, the center court in Mon- Monte Carlo, which is just overlooking the Azure, the, the the beautiful blue Mediterranean with the yachts out there. You just sit up there. On the, you don't have to be playing on that court. You just sit on the terrace of Monte Carlo <laughs> yep. Country Club and just have a have a meal there. The waiters are dressed beautifully, white tablecloths, have a glass of your favourite Beaujolais or whatever, and life is good, I can assure you. And there's, there's these magic little clubs around the world, and um, a lot of them are in Germany, and they're in forested areas surrounded by trees. And finally, it was even after I retired, I, I, I said to a colleague, I said, how do you get permission to put these four courts in the middle of a forest? I mean, that would not be that in Australia. The green movement would go crazy because this is precious green land. They said, Paul, what are you talking about? I said, well, yeah, there's forest around, there's trees around. He said, well, the trees were not there when we started the tennis club. He said, how could you, how could you have a tennis club unless it's surrounded by trees to break the wind? Otherwise you wouldn't be able to play properly. So, 
in Europe and in Germany, that old wisdom says you put tennis courts surrounded by trees so you don't have a problem with the wind. I was just <laughs> blown away by that. Sorry about the core joke. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a great, great story you told. I can't imagine that uh, happening here. But around the world, um, yeah, the, this, the different settings. Uh, that's the great part about uh-huh. tennis, how global it is and um, you know, the clay courts of South America uh, compared to the, the clay courts of America compared to the clay courts of Europe. There's uh, all the differences. And even a place like Roland Garros, every court is uh, unique in its own way. It plays just that a little bit differently. They, well, there's, there's magic in its history. But the, the, the thing that they do have in common, you rarely ever get a bad bounce on a good clay court. And that's yep. the problem we have in Australia. And, and the disappearance of clay in Australia and for example, the courts that produced Labor and Emerson and Hode and Rosewell are, are pretty much gone. They're they're extinct. Um, so that's the sadness that's happened in Australia, and we we need to do we need to do something about it. And and I think the revival, as I said, will be led by Ash Barty, who has a real shot of, of winning uh, winning a second Roland Garros here. She has a real shot at that tough first round tomorrow. By the way, just mm. to throw that in. Yep. Bernardo Perra, um, she's a really good player. <laughs> uh, no, she is. I mean, I mean, Ash, uh, you know, doesn't sort of go through steamrolling everyone, uh, but the, the, the great part about her is she's able to reset, isn't she? She can have a, a moment where or a set well, where it just doesn't go her way and her ability to reset and then get things back on her terms is what we love about Ash. I'm watching Iga Sviontek at the moment. She's my favourite, Paul. She's five love up. In the opening set of her match, uh, who won Roland Garros uh, last year, I can't take my eyes off her dynamic brand of tennis. Um, gee, I reckon Barty Schwiontek's going to be a nice yeah, little rivalry going forward. But, yeah, but Brett, it's first strike tennis with Schwiontek. I mean, it's just one one style. There's no change to that, you see. Ash can dismantle that. Give her fast, laser-accurate serves like Roger Federer, throwing in the slice and the drop shot. She beat her in Madrid. So, yes, Schwiontek is super impressive, but only playing that style. Yeah. Ash can mix that, and that's what can happen on a clay court. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I love the contrasting uh, styles. I'm, I'm really fascinated. Uh, Paul, we're going to give away some copies of your book. So if you want to get, call in tonight, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Welcome to the dance, Master Clay to Master Tennis. I've got five copies to give away. And uh, Paul, where can we um, where can we buy the book uh, on sale? And uh, of course, it'll be uh, selling like hotcakes, no doubt. Yeah. Well, it, it, through Slattery Media, uh, you can get a hard copy or on Kindle, on Amazon Kindle, it's available as well. So we, on, on that platform, uh, I just hope that one kid can pick it up and have that same joy that I had um, over my career and, and still have it at my age that I, you know, I love to love that smell of a freshly watered court, a bit like the farmers, you know, when the drought breaks. It's just a beautiful sound of, the, of a watered clay court. Um and I love I love bagging a clay court. I just yep. love that whole experience. And and for, you know, for kids to really understand the romance of the game. And the aim of the book is to teach someone to make a tennis ball dance, to be able to make a tennis ball dance. Hey, just one last one on the text. It's just come in, Brett. Can you ask Paul about why he changed from a one-handed backhand to a two-handed backhand mid-career? Well, that was the surgery that I ultimately needed. But the messages I talk to talk about in Welcome to the Dance about about transformation is that it's normally a series of tweaks. When people say, "Should you work on your on your strength or your weakness?" and most coaches will go to juniors and 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 help them work on their weakness, and that's a major trap because 
the, 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 the return on your investment in spending time on your strength is far superior than the return on investment on working on your weakness. I mean, if your backhand's a 40% shot and your forehand's a 75% shot, you, you work for a month on your backhand or two months or three months and a 20% improvement sees it at 48%. That's mm. still a fail. You have a 20% improvement on your forehand, it goes from 75% to 90%. That's a weapon. That's a weapon. And that's the way you dominate the game. That's how you dominate the chessboard. Yep. And I first improved my forehand and made that a weapon. So even though my, my backhand, that was, yeah, <laughs> no one else had done it in history, so it was kind of a pretty big deal. Um, I worked on my best shot first. And if, and if a kid or a, you know, a coach says, you know, or someone says, which shot can be my weapon? I say, you know the answer. It's your best shot. Mm. It's already good. It's mm. already good. Make it great. Yep. Great insights. Paul, always good to chat. Uh, look forward to uh, uh, reading more of the book. Welcome to the Dance Master Clay to Master Tennis, written by Paul McNamee. Get your copy, and we're giving away some copies uh, tonight on the show as well. Appreciate your time, and enjoy uh, in the next couple Fred, of weeks. Thank you for what you're doing for tennis to have this show. I mean, you're keeping it alive. This is amazing what you're doing. And like you, I just, I'm just glued to the TV you know, or the, my laptop, actually, watching Roland Garros because of, it's so fascinating. And thank you for, for what you're doing. Good on you, Paul. Paul McNamee, appreciate that. Uh, yeah, the screens are nine. Stan Sport, there's screens everywhere showing every court across the 15 days of Roland Garros. So we're going to take a break. Linda Pierce is going to join us, but happy to take your calls as well. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. I've got five copies to give away. I've got to bring something to the table. Five copies to give away. Welcome to the dance. Got the Australian Tennis Magazine. Got the First blur, first Serve Tennis Sunscreen. Uh, got plenty to give away, including the Tennis Direct voucher as well. Linda Pierce, Sio Mendes, I'll tell you her story. We'll get back to Roland Garros as well. Coming up on the First Serve. First Serve Tennis Sunscreen. A quality Australian-made sunscreen to protect those that love their tennis. At sunblessunscreens.com.au and GLG Greenlife Group, your open space specialists at glgcorp.com. The First Serve, your home of tennis, covering Roland Garros 2021. And we're into the swing of uh, day two at uh, Roland Garros. The sun is shining. Igor Sviontek, I could watch her all day. Six love, one love. Might be a couple of bagels like she did to Pliskova. A few weeks ago, in complete control inside the top 10 for the first time. Yannick Sinner talking about young talent. He's up against it, against uh, Pierre Hilbert, the uh, Frenchman, who is uh, maybe on the verge of a two-sets-to-one lead. No John Millman. He's had to withdraw with that injury. Uh, still Jordan Thompson, Chris O'Connell, and also Storm Sanders to come on day two for Australia. Linda Pearce in just a moment. Michael in Reservoir. Michael, good evening. Evening, um, Brett. Just on um, you mentioning um, Dominic Team, I think um, in every sport, we, we all go through the ips. And you look at the example for a bloke like Phil Mickerson, yeah. hasn't won a tournament for so long, and all of a sudden he wins one. My dad always said, you know, you just got to keep at it, don't let the mental demons kick in and work hard, and it will happen for you. Is that a fair um, assessment? Oh, or? no doubt about that. I mean, sport is full of uh, ups and downs, isn't it, Michael? And Dominic Team's had a pretty good ride for uh, a little while. Uh, he's one that didn't necessarily hasn't necessarily coped with the whole COVID situation. Him and uh, Nicholas Massou, his coach, had developed a very, very good relationship. Uh, the best results have come for Dominic Team 
uh, with the uh, Chilean, the former uh, gold medalist, uh, going uh, way back. And suddenly they were separated. It's a different environment. Uh, Dominic's just lost a little bit of his edge, but he had been training and practising pretty well the last few weeks. Had uh, come back on the clay prior to Roland Garros, but yeah, he's definitely lost uh, a little edge. He'll get it back. He's uh, an unbelievable competitor. When I've seen him in the corridors of tournaments, just the little extras he does, the extras that you don't see behind the scenes to be the best version of himself. Uh, that's why he has uh, got to where he has. But he's in a really tough era too where Grand Slams aren't handed out. You've got to earn them. And uh, who knows how many he might win across his career. Hang on, Michael. I'm going to give you a copy of Paul McNamee's uh, book. It's a beauty. Welcome to the dance. Master clay to master tennis. We'll throw in the Australian tennis magazine, the sunscreen as well. So it's all coming your way, uh, Michael, out there in uh, Reservoir. Let's welcome in Linda Pierce. We do it every month with... The award-winning uh, journalist who is covering uh, tennis, of course, like me, still these days, and of course, diverting into other sports and areas as well. She's one of the great all-rounders. Linda, great to have you on the first serve. Thank you, Brett. Yes, I'm in heaven tonight. Tennis Nirvana. I've got the dinner on the TV. <laughs> yes. I've just signed up for a free stand sport trial for 30 days, so I can also watch Beyond Tech. I've got you on for first serve, and I've got Paul's book as well. So look, it doesn't get much better. Uh, just multi, uh, multi-talented, uh, Linda, and uh, multitasking is what we do uh, in this sport. I, th- I think back, Linda, you've probably been in this situation. I those first couple of days of a slam, and I've been in the media centre at the various slams where a couple of the journos haven't ro- rolled up. So I've got I've sort of used their televisions because everyone gets a TV at the desk. And uh, if I can't go out and sit courtside because there might be three or four Australians playing at once, which sometimes happens, uh, you are trying to watch four or five matches at once and, and take in a bit of everything. It's uh, eyes everywhere. I'm exhausted after a couple of days. <laughs> Exactly. And when you're writing a couple of stories at once as well and you're flicking from screen to screen, it's all it's rather chaotic. But it's, I think people would be amazed how little tennis people, as you know, Australian journalists and journalists generally actually get to watch live in those first few days, yep. especially early in the day when you're on deadline, because it's just there's so much going on. Uh, it is hard. Yes. Uh, I remember famously, I have told this story, the uh, might have been the first time or second time I went to Wimbledon. People might be surprised about this, but I had a uh, a box up on centre court. I was sharing the space with a Scottish journalist and there were matches going on everywhere. And he turned around and said, hey, have you seen this match out on court 18 between John Isner and Nicholas Mahu? It's, <laughs> it's in a fifth set. It's about nine, eight or something. I coach you. I haven't, haven't taken any notice of that. Anyway, three days later, still going. I was there that year too. It was quite phenomenal when they came back on the final day. That court has never been so crowded. It was incredible. One of the great courts too, court number 18. So, Linda, put your journalist hat on from a Naomi Osaka point of view. It's the biggest talking point, uh, not her tennis on court, but her stance off court not to uh, do any media conferences at the uh, the French Open. How do you see it as someone that's covered a lot of tennis and a lot of media conferences across your journey? Yes, over 50 slams I've done. I'm utterly staggered by this one. Uh, there are some players that you would think have had a bad trot with the press or, you know, been harshly treated by the media, but Osaka is not one of them. So I don't think no. anyone saw this coming and I don't think anyone really understands it either. People have been very cautious not to question her uh, definition of, of mental health issues and that's completely fine. But I think everyone is in agreement that players have a responsibility to promote the game that gives them so much and allows them to earn such enormous sums Osaka last year with her Black Lives Matter campaign, that wouldn't have happened without without the media reporting on that. So she's done wonderful things in that regard, but you can't have it 
just all your own way. You can't tell people they can't ask a, a reasonable question or mm. even ask a question you've heard before. I mean, just suck it up. Look at Kvitova, what she went through with her stabbing. And she's fronted up and talked about it any time it was asked. And I think it's a little bit precious of Naomi, actually. In fact, on Tennis.com today, they asked the question, uh, empowerment or entitlement? I thought it was interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And Josh Gevlich off the top there, man, on the ground at Roland Garros, uh, indicated that she might have a new celebrity agent um, that's come on board that might potentially have altered her thinking around things. But I agree with you, and I said this in a number of radio interviews today. I, I can't think uh, where there's been a situation where Naomi has been absolutely pillared. I mean, she's been successful pretty much from you know, day one as a young emerging player, uh, jumping and rapidly rising to success uh, on the tour. And yes, this is the, the part of the year where she doesn't traditionally have as much success on the, the clay and the grass. And she gets scrutinised and gets asked the, the obvious questions or what, what's happening on this surface? Why aren't you concrete? What are you doing to you know try and be better? So they're, they're the normal questions that would come, not trying to put doubt in her mind. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a fascinating situation. What do you think is going to unfold through the week? And do you think this statement that's been put out, do you mm. think it's absolutely fair income that they would maybe go to a position of defaulting her? I, I find that hard to uh, imagine. But I think they're positioning themselves so that when she gets to a tournament that she really cares about and has a good chance of winning, they've already laid the groundwork a little bit there and said, okay, well, they might give her sort of a a grace period for this one and no one expects her to be around at the end of the second week anyway. But I do think there's definitely... they're positioning themselves to say, okay, well, if this is the if this is the game you want to play, we'll play that you can't contest the US Open game and see where that gets you. I want them to find her the maximum per every interview that she doesn't do. Um, I don't. I think maybe defaulting her in this situation is a little a bit of a step too far. But that statement today from the four uh, governing body chiefs, including Jane Herlicker of Tennis Australia, they yep. were very clear about their intentions and about their what they're warning her. And I think she should take it on board. No doubt. So we need to do squeeze in the break, Kathleen. I'm going to come back and chat to you on the other side, particularly about your story about Alexi Popper. And it's a great read on the firstserve.com.au. More of Linda Pierce next. First Serve Tennis Sunscreen. A quality Australian-made sunscreen to protect those that love their tennis. At sunblessunscreens.com.au and GLG Greenlife Group. Your open space specialists at glgcorp.com. The First Serve, your home of tennis. Covering Roland Garros 2021. Uh, yes, indeed we are. The uh, clay of Paris, it is just shining through our screens on the screens of Nine and uh, Stan Sports screens everywhere. The biggest challenge of any Aussie this week confronts Alexi Popperin taking on the 13-time French Open champion Rafael Nadal. Linda Pierce is still with me, award-winning journalist. Linda, you've written a great piece for our website, The Spaniard, not named Rafa, that Alexi Popperin will never forget along his journey to this matchup with Rafa. That's right. Lexi was nine years old and he was playing um, an under 10, a 10 and under tournament in Croatia. And he turned up, he got to the quarters the previous year as a bottom age kid, turned up this year thinking he might win it and got absolutely trounced by a young Spaniard called Alvaro Regalado <laughs> Pedrol, yes. who has only played one futures manager or match in his whole career and then went off to the US to, do, to play some college tennis or to do a college degree. But <laughs> Alexi said he still gives him nightmares. He, still, he couldn't sleep for days afterwards, which was very funny. 
Yeah, have a good read of that. It's a really, really good story on our website. Plenty of great features there you can go back and have a read of while you're uh, watching uh, the tennis uh, tonight and across all our socials as well. And just before I let you go, Linda, you're a little surprised that the seedings, uh, Rafa 3, Medvedev, stinking it up on the clay too. Medvedev, I, I understand that when Wimbledon introduced their, their grass court formula as a, a, a trying to make it a subje- an objective way of of changing the order of the seedings if they didn't reflect, you know, well, if the rankings didn't reflect grass court acumen. But I just see, and then that, that got all howled down, but I just see there's got to be an, uh, exceptions made occasionally. There is no way that yep. Nadal should be the number three seed at Roland Garros. It's ridiculous. And when, especially when the number two seed is Medvedev, who actually pled, pled for mercy and, and asked to be defaulted last week in, uh, yeah. in, in, in Rome. Yep. So I just think there's got to be a little bit of flexibility when mm. there's an absolutely open and shut case, which this one is. Couldn't agree more. Alexi Popper, and what a moment. I'm just dreaming. I see I'm glass half full. I, I want, I'm dreaming big love, the underdog. Imagine if he oh. took Rafa. That'd be great. Linda, thank you for joining us. We'll read your great work on our website. We'll talk to you again very soon. Enjoy the two weeks of Roland Garros. Thanks, Brett. You too. Linda Pierce. we're going a little extra on the first serve tonight. It's a little bit more after uh, 9 o'clock. Uh, Sion Mendes, I'm going to tell you about her story. Coming up next. First serve tennis sunscreen. A quality Australian-made sunscreen to protect those that love their tennis. At sunblessunscreens.com.au and GLG Greenlife Group. Your open space specialists at glgcorp.com. The first serve, your home of tennis, covering Roland Garros 2021. Look, I've got to sincerely thank uh, management uh, during the slams, giving us an extra uh, half hour. As we know, an hour goes far too quick uh, on the first serve every week. So we're going a little extra. Week one of Roland Garros. We'll get back to Josh Gavlich, our man on the spot very shortly. Off the text, Dominic Team will be well into his 30s before Nadal and Djokovic retire 2025 with the next generation coming through it's entirely conceivable he'll never win another major bob could be the case bob they're hard to win and uh, the the next crop is coming i'm watching yannick sinner on the screen at the moment he's a star and shapovalov and casper rudes emerging uh, they're just uh just so many and then you've got sitsi pass and zverev getting through yesterday um as we heard there from linda pierce uh, daniel medvedev uh, not uh, not overly in love with the clay, so he's going to learn to love the clay if he's going to be the complete player that we all think he probably can be. And he's grown up a lot on the clay, to be honest, uh, when he went to um, a French academy when he was uh, quite young. So uh, that is the state of play over in uh, Paris at the moment. We'll get back to Josh Gavalich. So there's plenty of players away from the, the bright lights of Grand Slams. They're on their own tennis journey. And uh, during the week, I caught up with a an Australian that I've been following her results for some time. Her ranking has continued to go up, but she has not lived in Australia for about six years. Her name is Sion Mendes. So her ranking is 267. She's 19 and 7, the win loss this year, 10 and 3 in doubles. Uh, loves to play on the clay. Started playing when she was six. She's actually won 10 singles titles on the ITF tour and two doubles titles. And I spent a bit of time with her late last week just going through her journey in professional tennis. At the moment, I am in Spain. I'm in Merida, where my family lives. It's good to be home for a little bit. I'm just having a bit of a break. Kind of needed a little bit. Yeah, I'm here for about a week, and then I go back to Valencia, where I'm currently training. So just for people who maybe aren't aware of your journey, uh, so born in Sydney, uh, but just tell us about 
the family and how you moved over to Europe and the reasons behind that. And obviously, a lot of the tennis uh, universe, if you like, is centered around Europe, the US, uh, outside of the month of January here in Australia. Can you give us a, a little bit of background as to, I suppose, the upbringing and how you got into tennis and then eventually the family moving overseas? Born in Sydney, actually in Kellyville. Yep. And we moved to Spain about six years ago. And that was kind of decision that my family made for. Uh, my brother and I as like growing athletes because um, my brother also plays uh, soccer. So for us, it was the better option to move to Europe. It was easy to travel. Um, and this is where kind of sport is. So the competition here is amazing and there's tournaments every week. So that was kind of uh, the plan when we were growing up. And I started when I was about five or six, I think it was. I started in Malaysia when I was little. We were we were there for my, my father's football in Korea, play soccer as well, when he was younger. So he played professional soccer and oh. I started in Malaysia where he was actually playing for, for a team there. So the sporting genes uh, run right through the family. Is your brother younger or older than you? My brother's older than me, uh, one year older. The last uh, few years, we've seen your ranking just steadily improve uh, every year and everyone goes on a real journey. And sometimes you can be in a hurry and you want to achieve that success. And I imagine there's been a lot of people around you that have said this is a real journey, not a race. And, you know, so many players playing now deep into their 30s. Give us a feel of how you've assessed your journey as a professional tennis player to this stage. Hasn't been easy. I'm sure a lot of people have said that. The tennis world is not easy. Um, The sport um, mentally, it takes its toll. It's been really tough, but also enjoyable at the same time. So um, I really love the sport and I just want to take it slow. I want to enjoy every moment I have on court and yeah so my I want to go slowly try to improve every day just focusing on every day and every session and go back to a COVID year last year when tennis players are used to being on the road in and out of hotels traveling to different countries and all of a sudden everything just stops and you're in one place for an extended period how did you cope with that personally um actually when the whole pandemic hit I was actually in the states I was playing a tournament over there and then everything kind of uh, got cancelled. So I was actually stuck in the States for about six months because my flights kept getting cancelled to get home. So there was an organization that had put up a tournament in Tampa that obviously there was no points involved, no for ranking, for nothing, just they were just basically paying the players just to play practice matches. So I was there for about three months in Tampa, just playing every second day just for a bit of a bit of prize money. So it wasn't too bad for me. But yeah, after about six months, I finally got a flight back home, which was good. Can you give us a little bit of insight in just uh, the setup around you? Often I talk to tennis players and it's, you know, it's so crucial to have that, that really important core of uh, people that are just going on the journey with you from y- your family to coaching support into that sort of physical performance area, which is so big now because the game has continued to get physically more demanding year by year. You're playing on predominantly at this stage, the ITF tour where, you know, the prize money isn't fantastic. So how do you go about your setup? You're effectively your own business on the road. Yeah, it's it's extremely tough actually because I actually, the good thing is I get a little bit of help from Tennis Australia, which is amazing. I also get a little bit of help from my agency. It's called Edge Management. So they help me out a little 
little bit and it's just managing every week and trying to manage my money smartly. There's a lot of calculations involved going to tournaments and thinking, how am I going to go here if I'm coming out plus or if I'm coming out minus? So, and then there's also a little bit of risk involved. So you go to a tournament and you go to a little bit of a bigger tournament, maybe a hundred thousand and you don't know if you're going to do well or, you know, lose first round, for example. So you could lose a lot of money that week. It's a risk. So it's very enjoyable and it teaches me to manage my money very wisely. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about that. We're talking to Sio Mendes, who joins us from uh, Spain, and uh, we wanted to tell a bit of her story on the, the first serve tonight. So scheduling is huge, isn't it? You know, I was talking to a couple of our males, uh, Tom Fancutt and Jeremy Beale, have had a bit of success in doubles the last couple of weeks in Tunisia and, and trying to plan their schedule for the next six months. And it's hard to look so far ahead because you don't know where you'll be rankings-wise. Do you get into that tournament? Can I get into that tournament? Just tell us a bit about the behind the scenes of trying to map out the year and what goes into that. Yeah, scheduling is extremely tough. I mean, it's tough at the moment because there's not as many tournaments as there was a couple of years ago, um, especially with COVID and girls traveling to certain tournaments that you didn't think that they would go to. So you're not sure if you're going to get in. Planning about six months ahead is extremely tough. At the moment, I'm just planning like a month ahead. <laughs> so I'm, I've got my schedule down. I've planned the next three or four tournaments, seeing how I go there. And then from there, see where I go again. So it's extremely tough because, yeah, you don't know which tournaments you're going to get into because of everything it's changing at the moment. And the margins, as we know in tennis, are, are so small. You're ranked at 267 currently, which is really, really respectable. And there's a fair argument to say that the top 300 tennis players in the world all should be making a living. And that's not... Uh, obviously my uh, my domain but we talk about it a lot on the show and the powers to be the administrators will decide all that down the track to take a bit more off the top end and just sort of spread it out evenly more down the pecking order so more players can make money out of the sport have you got a just a view on that yeah exactly i to be honest the top 300 we dedicate our lives to the sport so we're not doing anything else apart from training Mm. and like playing tennis so I think to be honest with you I think the top 100 have a lot of money (laughs) they're getting into grand slams every every two months they play every grand slam that's 70,000 every grand slam that's that's a lot of money just to lose first round so top 300 we we don't get a lot we're either playing even the 25,000 tournaments that we're playing at the moment are extremely tough you have girls that are sometimes you get girls that are 190 coming into the main draw and it's it's not easy and to lose first round you win a hundred dollars like that's that's nothing plus an extra two points where your ranking doesn't move yeah for the top 300 it's, it's extremely tough and to be honest I think we should be getting a little bit more money or help the players get at least hospitality into a lot of the tournaments because yeah. the WTA events, all of their tournaments, they have hospitality and, and food involved. So every ITF level event doesn't have any hospitality. So I don't, I don't think, I think that should change a little bit. Yeah. And I think these are all things that are on the, uh, on the table. And they've been on the table for a little while. Uh, obviously there's you know a certain cap to price money that you can earn, but as we know in life for anyone in general, who's got a credit card, you're always trying to just, you know, at least cut down your, uh, your expenses. Yeah, so exactly. your yeah. ranking has gone uh, year end 2015, 961 to the end of last year, 275. So every year you've been able to improve. How do you then now go to the next level? So what, what do you assess those players that are ranked 
are higher than you at the moment. What do you think is their level of play compared to your own? And where do you need to keep improving, I suppose, to elevate yourself a little bit higher? Do you see much of a gap there? To be honest with you, the the gap between 200, 250 to about 190 isn't a massive difference. Like it's a lot of the girls, every girl is beatable. It's uh, the women's tour is very up and down. As you can see, the men's tour is a little bit different. Mm. The men's tour is extremely tough. But for me, I'm just I'm just a few matches away to getting into the top, you know, 200, 230. So um, I think the difference is um, just um, being consistently um, mentally tough week in, week out. It's not an easy thing to do, but the top girls do it every week. So they, they turn up every week. And that's, I think, the hardest thing to do as a tennis player. That mental side, it seems like more players that I talk to are probably investing a little bit more in that area. Yeah. So I think a lot of girls have psychologists. And at the moment, um, the WTA actually does help with that. So I have a psychologist of uh, my own through the WTA, which it's at no cost to me, which is amazing yeah i do speak to her quite often and i think it's just a good help to have someone that is not who you speak to every single day of your life because they're not there all the time so it's good to have somebody outside of your team in a way that understands the game understands women and understands how the mind works so i think it's really helpful to have somebody there to help you out tennis is that one-on-one battle isn't it did you ever play i mean you said you started tennis at six but did you play any other sports along the way or team sports where you might may have gone down that track potentially or did you always sort of like that one-on-one battle in sport i did try soccer when i was very little but i walked onto a soccer field and i cried and that was the last time i walked on (laughs) (laughs) and then i did try a little bit of golf but for me that was there wasn't enough energy there so (laughs) tennis was kind of always there and I I had good hand-eye coordination and then yeah that's just kind of where it went from there. What are your dreams and and hopes what you want to get out of this sport what do you think for you is is the measurement of success of where you'd like to aspire to be? For me at the moment I kind of just be the best that I can be no matter I mean what ranking that would be hopefully at top 10 top 20 but I just want to enjoy every day and I want to get the best out of myself every day as much as I can hopefully one day win a grand slam that would be amazing and I kind of I have this goal where I want to make enough money so I can get myself a BMW (laughs) who wouldn't There you go. There you go. I wouldn't mind a BMW myself. I'm in the wrong caper. Radio doesn't pay enough. Let me let me tell you. And, and Sian, what do you do? So outside of tennis, I imagine you, you need something else, or you need you need other things to interest you to, to take your mind off tennis, so you're not in that bubble all the time. Uh, do you do anything else in and in and around your tennis career? I don't do a lot actually. When I can, I kind of I come home to my family, so that's my little bit of a distraction. So mm. I spend a lot of time with my family, my grandparents parents actually live on the water so sometimes I go to their house and just get away from it there so there's not a lot that I do but being home to my family is my little distraction which is great obviously everyone says if, if you can if you can be a good clay court player that's the grounding that can really set you on your way where you can excel on really any surface yeah so um I think playing being here six years in in Europe does help loving clay because there's not much hard court over here unless you know you go to the states or there's the two three tournaments um in the middle of the year that are on hard court but um i kind of always loved uh clay court just grinding and being out there for three hours that's kind of 
what I love about the sport. I love the the competition. I love competing. Mm. I love like fighting for every point. So clay helps me do that <laughs> in a way. And it just you just learn to be tough out on court through clay. And just one last one for you. Of the Aussie players uh, across the year, I mean, obviously sometimes you're playing in the same tournaments. Uh, sometimes you might play uh, together in doubles as an example. Just tell us about your interaction with the, the other uh, Australian players. To be honest, I haven't gone back in a long time. So I don't usually, I don't, I don't hang out with a lot of the Australians. I don't know many people over there. So not being in Australia doesn't really help with um, getting to know a lot of people over there. But when I was there about two, three years ago, I know some of, I was with some of the boys there training every day there. But to be honest, yeah, I don't really um, talk to a lot of the people from there. (laughs) Yeah, that, well, that makes sense, not spending a lot of time here. Yeah. Is that one of the great things about tennis, though, that you meet so many different people from lots of different countries, that you're actually carving out a professional sporting career, but you're also having this sort of world adventure, if you like, uh, learning about cultures, you know, meeting people from uh, different countries? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. You meet people every single day of your life, which is which is great. So being in different countries, you get to see uh, how people live and the different types of atmosphere there is and how... Um, you see it's an eye-opener as well because you go to countries for example like Turkey or Tunisia where they're not as privileged as other Mm. countries are and and you it really opens your eyes and you see how great how lucky you are and you just have to be grateful every day for what you have and and how you're living because some people just don't have that which is which is sad but but true (laughs) no very true yeah no we absolutely uh, not taking anything for granted, and we're, we're pretty lucky as Australians, certainly. Hey, great to have a chat to you. Uh, I reckon we do this again sometime down the track, and uh, we're going to keep following your journey. And obviously, the next goal is to yeah get towards that 200 mark and inside that top 200, which would be uh, terrific. And uh, all, all the very best. Uh, you know, great journey, interesting story, and keep going well. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great chat. Uh, there she is, Sio Mendes. It was a good chat. Uh, a player who's on the rise. A different story. Lived outside of Australia, born in Sydney. She's got AUS in brackets next to her and we'll follow her with great interest. We'll come back. Back to Roland Garros. We'll go next. First serve tennis sunscreen. A quality Australian-made sunscreen to protect those that love their tennis. At sunblessunscreens.com.au and GLG Greenlife Group. Your open space specialists at glgcorp.com. The First Serve, your home of tennis, covering Roland Garros 2021. Great to spend an extra half hour, Roland Garros, uh, week one. We'll do it again uh, through to 9.30 next uh, Monday night as well. We're going to go back there right now with uh, Josh Gevlich, our man on the ground. A beautiful day, Josh. We've had Kiki Burton's uh, knocked out, Angie Kerber yesterday on the women's side. But uh, so many things to look forward to today. Serena Williams will headline... The night session tonight. No crowd, but a nine o'clock start, so we get to witness that. What are your thoughts heading into this? Always a lot of intrigue as to how Serena's going to shape up at a slam. Well, it is very intriguing. Obviously, this is the first time we've had a night session at Roland Garros. And we saw last night crowds were forced to leave at about 8, 8.30 because of the 9pm curfew. Not too dissimilar to the Australian Open earlier in the year, as many Melbournians will remember, but a lot of people were quite angry that they were forced out halfway through that match last night. But tonight, that won't be the same issue because that game starts at 9pm. And I'm sitting with a couple of people from the New York Times, a couple of journalists, and, and they tell me reliably that this match time is all about the NBC and, and their, their decision to broadcast that game. So it's interesting the, the, the power some of these 
broadcast as we in tennis. So that's just a little subplot with, with Serena. We haven't seen much of Serena at all this year, much like Roger. She, she's been quite um, quite on the, on, the, on the circuit so far. So it'd be great to see her back in Paris tonight. Indeed. There's a lot of little uh, rooms that I, I would love to be a fly on the wall, uh, Josh. And having spent a bit of time around the uh, sort of close in the sanctum of the Australian Open and Craig Tyler, who survives on about four hours sleep uh, every day of the Australian Open, that scheduling meeting where you've got all the stakeholders, the broadcasters, everyone's pulling for what matches they want and then Craig and Co are going to make a, a call. It's uh, It'll be a fascinating room certainly to sit in. Uh, Igor Sviontek certainly being challenged in the second set. She's one of my favourites. Um, Daniel Medvedev's going to play today, so he wanted to be defaulted about a week ago on the clay. So let's see how it goes up against. Well, I think the, the Kyrgios version of Kazakhstan, Alexander Bublik, who's capable of anything, this guy. Yeah, you're absolutely right. He's really exciting to watch. So he's one of the many, I mean, the interesting thing about Roland Garros is the way the first round spread, I, you know, with, with the other Grand Slams, when they start on the Monday, there's so much quality games congested into the first two to four days across the first two rounds. But with the way Roland Garros is, it starts on the Sunday, they really spread it out. So, you're right. There's a lot of intrigue around him, and and I'll, I'll I'll head out there at some point later today. Obviously, there's a few more Australians in the field, and Chris O'Connell is the one that really interests me. Wildcard entry. He's he's had a, a pretty decent, um, you know, you, you, Clay's not obviously his favourite service, and he played last week in in Belgrade and lost in the first round after qualifying. But he's one I'll definitely go watch against Tommy Paul, the American. And Storm Sanders is is the other Australian yeah. that, yep. that's going to be out there later on against Elise Mertens from, from Belgium. Pretty difficult first-up challenge when you think about the 14th seed and her form leading into the tournament, which reached the final in Istanbul last month and the quarterfinals of the Madrid Open at the start of this month where she beat Simona Halep. So a really big challenge first up for Storm. But you look at Isla Tomjanovic yesterday, and I'm looking out at Court 7 right now where she... She got the job done and she was super impressive first up. I'm sure you've spoken at length about her across the past 24 hours. She mm. was really impressive. When you, when you consider she hasn't progressed past the first round yep. since 2015, but in 2014, she reached the fourth round. So it's the hoodoos off her slightly. We look forward to seeing what she can do across the coming days. We hope uh, for a bit of Aussie success. Thank you, Josh. We'll, uh, of course, see your work as part of the firstserve.com.au across all our socials as well. You'll be part of uh, the show next week and uh, enjoy uh, the two weeks. We'll let it be uh, hearing from you regularly every day. No doubt, Brett. Great to chat. Chat to you again soon. Josh Gablich, he's there. He's in the grounds of Roland Garros. It's been transformed at the last couple of years. Wanted to give a shout-out to two guys who were on the show two weeks ago. Tom Fancutt, Jeremy Beale, three straight ITF doubles titles. They said on this show they feel like they're capable of being top 100 doubles. So you can't do much more than just win, and they've won 12 straight matches. Uh, Thomas, of course, uh, was runner-up in the singles last uh, on the weekend, and Jeremy was runner-up uh, the week before in singles. So let's hope they can um, take that great doubles uh uh, form of winning titles into winning some singles titles as well. That would be uh, outstanding. So a special shout-out to the guys who did nicely on the ITF tour across uh, the weekend. We are done. Uh, the screens of nine. Stan Sport showing the French Open right throughout the next fortnight. So take all that in. No John Millman, unfortunately. He's had to withdraw today. But O'Connell, 
Uh, Sanders in action. Jordan Thompson will be up. Ash Barty tomorrow. Alex Demon or our number one male will be in action tomorrow as well. So let's hope they can certainly uh, put their uh, best foot forward. And a special shout-out to Asti Tennis Courts, trusted by Melbourne tennis clubs and councils. You can check them out at aste.com.au. Thank you to the boys at the back. Very nice job looking after us. To Josh Gablich on the ground. To Paul McNamee. Get his book. Welcome to the dance. It's a beauty. We'll do it again next Monday, 8 o'clock. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Mackers, together and loving it. TNCs apply.